Hello, my name's John Dennis. It's Tuesday the 23rd of February. Today, Britain's heading for a hung parliament, according to a Guardian ICM poll. But might reports of Gordon Brown's bad temper put voters off? People don't particularly warm to bullying, but again, uh, I don't think it's much of a secret. You don't only have to look at Gordon Brown to realise he's not a little ray of sunshine. We hear from the beleaguered head of the National Bullying Helpline, who's found herself under scrutiny after wading into the row over Gordon Brown's fits of rage. If we were politically motivated, we might be very rich, <laughs> and we're not, and you can quote me on that. Also today, MPs call for NHS funding to be withdrawn from homeopathy. They have found to their satisfaction that, that it, it doesn't work, it doesn't do anything, that it's no better than a placebo. The, the only effect it has, in fact, is a placebo effect. And at London Fashion Week, designer Betty Jackson talks to us. We get criticised if we do too much nonsense in a show and we get criticised if we do things that everybody wants to buy in the show. So it's a sort of no-win situation. Guardian Daily with John Dennis on guardian.co.uk. First, politics. And an ICM poll for The Guardian suggests David Cameron might not win an outright majority over Labour in a general election. Today's survey comes amid controversy over Gordon Brown's alleged character flaws following the publication in The Observer of extracts from Andrew Rawnsley's book. Commentator Michael White's in our Westminster office, but first let's hear from Julian Glover, who's got details of the poll. Well, I think it tells us that Nick Clegg will be getting quite excited because it shows the Tory party just isn't getting the kind of support that they can go into an election really confident of getting a majority. They might get a majority. They might even, with this lead, this is a seven-point lead, all sorts of discussions going on about marginal seats and differential swings. and So I wouldn't rule out a majority Tory government, but it shows they can't be sure of getting it. And if they don't, what's going to happen? Well, then we'll debate that endlessly. It also shows Labour's doing OK. They're not doing brilliantly, but they're doing better than the sort of second part of last year. They're on 30%. Lib Dem's quite solid on 20 down one on our last poll, unchanged on a, another more recent ICM poll. So Labour and the Lib Dems cruising along pretty firmly. Tories beginning to falter, and that'll alarm Cameron. Michael White in our Westminster office, uh, you said in your blog yesterday, uh, this is shaping up to be an interestingly unpredictable election, isn't it? Uh, yes, it certainly is. And I wouldn't disagree with a lot uh, of what Julian has just said. With the greater emphasis than him on differential swings and all the work and all the money from Lord Ashcroft and others which the Tories are putting into the marginal seats. I spoke to a, a Tory MP with a marginal seat, which won't be marginal soon, last night, and he said, you know, we're quite confident about them. So do bear that in mind. Oh, yes. Um, but one thing that this does, of course, is, is, is maybe redirect some of the direction that the Tory campaigning goes. If they begin to need to protect the, the ones they get to, to get the largest party, then they can't put their cash into the really extreme seats where they can get a big majority. So but as, as we both know, they've got an awful lot of money. Oh, they have. Uh, and one of those aspects of the election, uh, the, the, the media, the attack dogs won't be interested in the Tories' sources of money until they're in government. When they're in opposition is the time to ask questions, but they don't. Anyway, we're not talking about that. Yes, it is an, it is an unpredictable event. I'm still reluctant to abandon my long-held view that the Tories will have a small majority, but it is looking more hung Parliament, and I agree that uh, Nick Clegg has some reason for confidence, although, in fairness to David Cameron, it's because of David Cameron's failures, not Nick Clegg's successes, that the Lib Dems are looking quite good. Yes. Well, uh, Julian, what are these failures? 
of, of David Cameron. Well, I think if you look at the poll, there seems to be some anxiety about uh, Tory policy on the public services. So maybe that talk of cuts, which plays very well with the Tory base, plays well with quite a lot of the media, a lot of blogs. Maybe some voters looking at the cold weather, snow still continuing, beginning to think, do I really want public service cuts? Too soon. That's the issue. That was the battle between the economists last that week. That was the economist battle. The, but the, I, I think there's a general sense of anxiety. So on, on, on the poll, we've got a figure for care for the elderly, which party's the best policy. Now, obviously, people don't know the details of the policies, nor do we actually. Parties haven't explained them all. But we do know instinct of the voters. Labour's have got an eight-point lead on that. So things like that, where the Tory party have been pushing quite hard, people are still going towards Labour. And on the economy, Tories are ahead, but not as much as they were. Now, what about the issue of Brown's personality? So to what extent does this poll reflect these claims that have been made in the extracts from Andrew Rawnsley's book? Well, the timing of the poll's important. We have to emphasise the polling started on the Friday. Most of it was done on Saturday over the weekend. Some of it was done on Sunday, but only about a fifth. So people weren't responding to the Observer, even if they'd had time to read all of those great words in the Observer on Sunday. They haven't digested them. Maybe another poll will come along later in the week and show it's really hit Labour. But just as importantly, perhaps, the Piers Morgan stuff a week before doesn't seem to have boosted Labour either. Maybe the public are a bit resistant to some of these things that get us all excited in the media. Well, what's your uh, take on, on Rawsley's book, uh, Julian? I mean, do you think these uh, revelations, if they are revelations about uh, Brown's bad temper, will have much effect on the voters? I'd say it was all true, so we must remember that. I don't think the book's wrong. Um, the question is, A, does it tell us anything we didn't know? And B, if it does tell us something we didn't know, does it matter? Um, I think probably quite a lot of voters were less aware than the Westminster media that Gordon Brown got a bit grumpy, occasionally got very depressed, sometimes wondered whether he was up to the job, um, and uh, maybe that'll have an effect. The character does really shape votes. On the other hand, there isn't some fact in this book which means he's going to have to resign or anybody else is going to have to resign. Nobody seems to have lied about, about it. It's all just been a bit grim and depressing. So maybe it won't have a huge effect. Mike, do you think it matters uh, whether Gordon Brown's got an explosive temper? <laughs> yes, of course it matters. People don't particularly warm to bullying. But again, uh, I don't think it's much of a secret. You don't only have to look at Gordon Brown to realise he's not a little ray of sunshine. And there have been plenty of stories, some of them written by Mr Ronsley in his earlier book, about the Brown-Blair explosive tempers. I'm looking one day for a, a backlash which says, poor old Tony Blair, wasn't he put upon by all these people? No wonder. He, he, he fought a war in Iraq. At least it gave him something to do that Gordon wouldn't, wouldn't interfere with, make life difficult over, which is roughly what happened. Because, um, you know, the more you know about Gordon's operation, then the more you know it must be quite difficult. Uh, of course, you have to add that, uh, uh, you know, being a bully doesn't make you an ineffectual uh, or inappropriate leader. We know plenty of people who are bullies. Uh, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson is a prime example. That horrible man, Phil Green, who runs the retail uh, empire, he was awful to one of our colleagues uh, down a phone line a few years ago. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Daily Mail yesterday ran a very sympathetic leader to Mr Brown about bullying. And hardly a surprise, really, because the editor of the Daily Mail, Paul Dacre's a you know, great fan of Gordon's, despite everything. They're fellow provincial peer Thinks, yes. thinks Mr. Dacre, and of course Mr. Dacre is Fleet Street's most famous bully. Yes, and Ronsley's book describes Brown and Dacre going to Shakespeare together. It's, it's a horrible thought, isn't it? <laughs> Let's assume they went to see Macbeth or Richard III. <laughs>
I think it might have been Hamlet, actually. <laughs> well, that would be fine for Gordon, wouldn't it? Bob Marshalland, who's the Labour MP, who spent ten years to, uh, plotting to get rid of Tony Blair, six months after he'd succeeded in installing Gordon, who, like many other left-wingers he thought would be left-wing, uh, started going around saying to people, he told me in a bar, uh, you know, Gordon Brown, he's a Shakespearean tragedy, the indecision of Hamlet, the impotent fury of King Lear, the suspicion of Othello. Pause. Thank God we got rid of the Macbeths. <laughs> <laughs> Mike White in Westminster, Julian Glover, many thanks. Well, after Andrew Rawnsley's allegations were published in The Observer on Sunday, the head of the National Bullying Helpline contacted the BBC, claiming her organisation had received calls from three people who'd worked with the Prime Minister. But the charity quickly found itself at the centre of controversy. Several of its patrons resigned, saying that to go public with such information was a breach of confidentiality. The Charity Commission has launched an investigation. Christine Pratt, the National Bullying Helpline's head, faces questions about the charity's links with the Conservatives and using her charity to drum up business for her and her husband's company. She told The Guardian Stephen Morris what contact the helpline had had with Number 10 staff. One was um, someone who, who, who downloaded information you, from the website. But and you we, know, we, was that information? I don't know, I don't know. But you know that came yes, from Number 10 or Deputy Prime Minister? Absolutely, from the email address we know that it was. Now that um, information was just information that's freely available on our website. The point I want to make is this isn't about those three or four calls or however many calls um, that there were. This really, the reason we we contacted the uh, local media on Sunday was because we were concerned that an employer here, and, and number 10 or less, was going into instant denial when allegations of bullying were, were levied at them. And that is not, in our view, a way an employer should behave in 2010. Yeah. Can, can I just double-check this one? You're not politically motivated. We're not politically Do you motivated. Have any... If we were politically motivated, we might be very rich. <laughs> and we're not. And you... you can quote me on that. We, we, are, we receive no government funding at all. Um, this this charity is a poor charity. Everything you see has been gifted and or donated to us by the business community. You know Infotech has donated our office. Um, the boardroom table out there is from Accord in Swindon. Um, these tables have come through Zurich and their contacts at, at VAS, the Voluntary Action Swindon. All the furniture, the telephone system, even our stationery in our cupboard has been donated to us because we have no money and I'm a volunteer. This and, is a poor charity. And do you personally have any links with the Conservative Party at all? Are you a member of the Conservative Party? I'm not a member of the Conservative Party. Um, I'm not politically motivated. I would invite Gordon Brown and David Cameron to come and visit us at any time. I would welcome their uh, interest in what we do. And I would welcome anybody's interest in what we do, quite frankly. We're at open door. And, and my husband has already explained to you that we have an open door policy. We have nothing to hide. Our processes are open and transparent and if anybody has any concerns about the way we operate there is a complaints policy on our website. Christine Pratt talking to Stephen Morris and there's full coverage today at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on the Guardian's website. I'm Sarah Phillips from G2, the Guardian's daily feature section. 
In today's issue, Oliver Berkman describes the power and influence of the National Enquirer magazine and ponders whether it's worthy of the Pulitzer Prize. Film critic Peter Bradshaw nominates his highs and lows from this year's BAFTA Awards. And our final extract from novelist Jonathan Safran Fur's book, Eating Animals, explains why fish is just as bad as meat. All this and more at guardian.co.uk forward slash g2. A committee of MPs says homeopathic medicine shouldn't be funded on the NHS. The Commons Science and Technology Committee says there's no evidence that the drugs work better than a placebo. And the makers of homeopathic products shouldn't be allowed to make medical claims on their labels. Our health editor is Sarah Bosley. The committee has said that they've looked into homeopathy and they have found to their satisfaction that that it it doesn't work, it doesn't do anything, that it's no better than a placebo. The the only effect it has, in fact, is a placebo effect. So it, it might work on some people because they feel better for having something, but there's nothing actually that properly works. Now, Their point is that the Department of Health and the NHS works on the basis of of evidence. They are supposed to support evidence-based medicine. So what they're saying to the Department of Health is the NHS should not be paying for homeopathy because there's no evidence that it works. And your policy is that everything should be evidence-based. Because the NHS has funded homeopathy uh, ever since it was founded in the late 40s. It's, it's certainly been doing so, and there are there's the Royal Homeopathic Hospital in London. There are three other homeopathic hospitals. All those receive money, and NHS patients go there. But funnily enough, nobody really knows how much money the NHS is handing over. It's very strange. And the, uh, when the minister, Mike O'Brien, was asked by the committee during evidence sessions how much the NHS pays for homeopathy... Um, He said as far as he knew, it was around £12 million over three years, or at least that's what he'd read in The Guardian. (laughs) So he really has no idea how much the NHS is shelling out for homeopathy. Um, The homeopathy does have some prominent supporters, though, doesn't it? Well, indeed. And the royal family have always um, liked homeopathy and alternative medicines. Prince Charles Foundation for Integrated Medicine was actually set up in order to try to encourage the NHS to use complementary therapies more. And there is some evidence, um, quite a lot of evidence, for some of these, uh, some complementary therapies. But the point that the committee is trying to make is that homeopathy is, is quite different from most of the rest. Uh, it works on the basis of what they call like for like. So you take a minute dose of something that may have be similar to something that may have caused your malady. And then you dilute it by um, millions of times so that actually there's no trace, no chemical trace, usually, that you can find in the, in the homeopathic remedy of, of that, that substance. Um, the homeopaths will say it has the memory, the water has the memory of the substance, and that that is that's enough, that is what works. But scientists, of course, debate this. How will the Department of Health respond to this uh, committee? Well, the Department of Health says it will reply in, in a couple of months' time. But for the moment, what they've actually said makes it look very much as if they're not prepared to do anything. I think homeopathy, homeopathy is quite um, a, a hot issue. A lot of people who believe in it uh, really feel very strongly about it. And uh, the amounts of money concerned probably are not enough to make it worth confronting this issue head on. So what they've said is that they will look at it, but they have also said that they think it should be up to basically up to doctors and PCTs, primary care trusts, to make those decisions locally as to whether to pay for homeopathy or not. Sarah Bosley. 
Betty Jackson is in many ways the grand dame of London Fashion Week. What she describes as her easy designs appeal to a wide range of people. But she told The Guardian's fashion editor Jess Cartner-Morley she doesn't enjoy being the focus of attention. It's, it's so stressful. <laughs> it's so stressful. Because it's not me that does it. You know, there's an awful lot of people who are involved in this to make this show happen. And um, I feel a bit of a cheat that it's actually focused on me, really. So I hate that, too. I, I just hate it. We always decide on colour first. The colour palette comes first. And we, we, we put that, and I'm quite rigid about that, we put that down on paper so that it's a sort of Bible and a reference point, and we can't stress it. This collection, I think, is a bit darker, it's a bit stronger. It's more severe lines and, uh, and a bit more uncompromising, I think. We were looking east, I think. Not really Moroccan, we wanted to take it a bit out of Europe, really. And so uh, that was the frightening bit, because women wear robes and burqas, which we didn't want to do, obviously. But, but there's sort of wonderful folds and neck details and shapes and and gradually it all came together. When we start a collection, I don't ever like to panic about what's going to sell. Of course, you know, realistically, we are still alive and that's because we still sell clothes. So that has to be in the equation. But um, it's terribly restrictive being given that to do first, I think. It's a balancing act, really. You know, what's, what's going to look great for the little shop up in Hull and what's going to look great on the catwalk? Of course, they're two completely different things. Do you ever go and see anybody else's shows? I get invited to quite a lot. But the funny thing is, once you've done yours, you sort of don't want to go and see another one. Beforehand, you never have any, any time. Afterwards, I couldn't give a shit about anybody else's. <laughs> Sorry, probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, I really, I, I couldn't care less. Betty Jackson talking to Jess Cartner-Morley. And you can see some of Betty Jackson's designs at guardian.co.uk slash video. Phil Maynard was the producer of today's edition of Guardian Daily. My name's John Dennis. Thanks for listening.